This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining our monthly Global Markets Perspective podcast. My name is Philip Robotham. I'm delighted to be joined today by George Brown, economist within our global economics team here at Schroders. Hello, George, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. For more information on any of the topics discussed on this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact your usual Schroders representative. We're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so discussing what's happening in global markets, focusing on the key investment themes, framing the investable landscape. Let's start with a very brief recap of what's going on in global markets year to date. Uh, the first half of 22 has been uh, tough, in inverted commas, for investors. Um, there's a a piece that's published by Deutsche Bank, uh, which has recently been referenced by several members of our team. Um, they, uh, they, they, they publish this piece regularly, and it's an analysis of the 38 recognized asset classes from around the world. Uh, only four of these investable asset classes were positive or in positive territory for the first half of this year. And just to put that into context, if we wind the clock back to 2008, there were seven asset classes positive out of the 38. Um, so following this very, very tough first half of the year, this quarter, and particularly in July, has felt a lot easier for equities. Uh, in fact, global equities have been running pretty well across almost all global indices. Um, however, I've just run through the latest forecast published by George uh, and his team uh, confirming a new regime, and it's non-consensual. So I'm hoping we can start here. Um, George, you're now forecasting US GDP for 2023 to be in recession with minus 1% GDP. The consensus is at plus 1%. That's obviously a very, very large divergence. Um, perhaps we can start with you just unpacking some of the reasons why. Yes, well, um, with the US forecasts, um, we've taken the decision to build in a recession into our forecast because uh, we think that inflation at the moment um, is becoming more widespread across the US economy. It's becoming far less transient than the uh, the Federal Reserve had initially expected. And uh, as a consequence of that, we think that Chair Powell is going to have to stamp down on interest rates uh, much more aggressively in order to bring down inflation and, and build in that kind of spare capacity that's needed. And for that reason, we are forecasting a recession uh, it will be about three quarters across the um, the first three quarters of next year. And that will be a sort of peak to trough decline of 2%. Now, we think that will help bring down inflation in a to some degree, but we still think that core inflation will be relatively robust throughout next year. But we think that even despite this, um, at some stage in the second half of the year, the Federal Reserve will shift its focus from fighting inflation to to supporting the economy. So we actually do have, um, after the Fed, uh, we think is going to take rates up to uh, an upper limit of 4% in the uh, first half of the year. We do think they'll, they'll cut rates to 3.5% by the end. But I think, as you say, Phil, it's, it's a non-consensus call. Most economists aren't really looking for an, a recession at the moment, uh, but we just think it's very difficult for a soft landing to be achieved anymore. You referred to, um, in the previous uh, answer, you referred to uh, inflation this year um, and then normalising next, but didn't give a figure. So if you could just say what your expectation is for inflation for next year. And then the follow on from that was if 
the Fed raises rates up to the 4%, uh, as you're predicting, uh, what the short-term uh, impacts might be on markets, you know, obviously that they're trying to achieve by increasing the rates to where, they're, where they are. So, yes, we're thinking that US CPI is probably going to be coming in at about 8% this year. Now, it's going to come down to about 4.2% next year. Um, to the extent we think that you know, energy prices uh, will subtract quite a bit from that, but we still think that the sort of core inflation will be uh, pretty robust. And um, from the Fed's perspective, you know, raising rates to 4% should mean that uh, real rates should be more or less marginally positive for the first time in, in quite some time, at least um, towards the end of the year. And, um, but to the, to the extent as, as well that we think that this will help to uh, slow down the economy sufficiently to generate that spare capacity that is needed. Uh, in order to bring down inflation more. And, um, you know, it is a tricky balancing act that the Fed's trying to strike at the moment, but we think on balance, uh, it is going to be incredibly challenging to engineer that soft landing. So uh, as a consequence, instead, we think that they will hike to the extent that, you know, something breaks and the, the something that breaks will be the, the US economy. Uh, and in turn, that should help to bring down inflation. Like I say, for the year, it will be about 4.2% on average, uh, but it will be a little bit lower than that, actually, uh, towards the end of the year. Great. Thanks, George. Um, and could you make, maybe comment on how the Fed might bring down wage inflation, given the tight labour markets that are constantly being reported on? Yeah, so the, the labour market is um, a very much a lagging indicator of the economy. So what you tend to get is uh, in the early stages of a, of a downturn, companies are reluctant to let uh, employees go. And so they hoard onto labor in the hope that, you know, the downturn doesn't last as uh, very long or that it's perhaps not very deep. So um, because of that, like I said, it is a lagging indicator. So we don't think that necessarily there'll be uh, the spare capacity generated in the, the short term. Um, in order to bring down inflation. But over time, you know, if once the Fed starts to raise interest rates and, and with the kind of long and variable lags that are associated with monetary policy, once they start to come through, that starts to weigh on economic growth. And, and in turn, many firms uh, then are forced to make the layoffs uh, as a consequence. And that will uh, lead to a rise in unemployment and um, in turn as well, take some of the pressure off of wages that we've seen at the moment, which are, are still looking uh, pretty robust. And, uh, you know, that is really the, the key driver of inflation at the moment, actually, um, wage inflation, but also uh, rents in the US, namely owner's equivalent. Um, and, you know, those are the two big problems facing the Fed at the moment, you know, in terms of uh, other measures of inflation, goods inflation at the moment, uh, that has been pretty elevated because of this sort of uh, global bottlenecks that we've seen, but those are starting to ease. Uh, we've also seen consumers orientate their spending back towards services after having obviously been locked down for a, a considerable period of time. So now with economies reopening, uh, you know, there's very much a shift towards services, which is, uh, of course, more labour orientated rather than capital intensive as, as goods is. And as a consequence, that is causing pressure in the labour market. So to answer your, your question, Phil, 
the Fed has to slow down the economy uh, to generate unemployment in order to bring down wage inflation and in turn uh, inflation itself. And you mentioned uh, monetary policy and within your economics pack, uh, this is obviously referenced extensively in the regime shift in monetary policy. I, I wonder if you could perhaps unpack uh, some of the key changes that you've reported on uh, for our listeners. And for our listeners, um, if you would like to get a, a copy of this uh, this pack, then, then please do contact uh, myself or, or a member of our team. Yes, so um, since the global financial crisis, we've, we've had very low rates of inflation across many advanced economies. Um, a key cause of that has been that uh, the size of the uh, drop in in output during the global financial crisis caused a considerable degree of uh, spare capacity. And so as a consequence, we had central banks lowering interest rates to either 0% or, or even below in, in some instances, such as in the Eurozone. And towards the, the end of the 2010s, we did start to see some normalization amongst various central banks, but uh, not before long we had the, the pandemic and uh, as a consequence of that, uh, of course, the the emphasis shifted onto supporting growth again. Of course, though, we, we did have um, various government measures such as uh, furlough schemes and and fiscal spending, which helped to retain the supply side of the economy. So as we've sort of come out of the pandemic, what we've had a result of is that we've we've had the um, supply side of the economy maintained and we now have a situation where in many advanced economies we actually have excess demand uh, for the first time in in maybe a few decades and and so you know it is a regime shift in the sense that we're, we're moving away from the ultra low accommodative policy that we saw post financial crisis we're actually going back perhaps to uh quote unquote sort of more normal times, perhaps even um, a sort of stagflationary environment that we've seen last in the sort of 1970s, let's say, or 1980s. So we definitely do feel like we're in a new environment. Uh, and, you know, it's it's one that investors should be cognizant of. And then to lead into some fiscal policy question, obviously the, the politicians are starting to feel the heat around the world because uh, voters have become increasingly used to experiencing government help in times of stress or crisis. Um, so the expectation on governments to act again is, has obviously risen. Um, and I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how fiscal policy is being adopted to ease some of the pain um, that the, the consumer is now facing. Yes, yeah, so we are in a situation where, as you sort of say, consumers have become used to the government stepping in whenever there's a crisis and as a consequence of course there's a lot of pressure at the moment to to deal with the cost of living crisis and that's somewhat problematic because um, governments now have, have got this sort of expectation amongst them and um, you know we're in a sort of period of uh, shall we say uh, there's a lot of political events going on at the moment we've just had early this year of course the French legislative elections but in the States, we've got the midterms coming up. Uh, we've got a general election in Italy. And then I guess in the UK, we've got um, a general ele election not too far in the horizon, but not too near either. Uh, somewhere between it'll be um, 
maybe June 2024 or as late as January 25. But the the issue with this is that uh, you know a lot of governments seem to be capitulating in the sense that they are uh, tr- trying to help ease the pain of households, um, which you know on, on the one hand you know would seem like the logical thing to do, but on the other hand, it's a problem for central banks because um, it just does not help in terms of the demand picture when central banks are trying to rein in inflation by uh, stamping out demand. At the same time, uh, the governments are serving to support that. So it it is a bit of a a tricky situation on balance. But the overall picture actually, though, is that if you look at it on balance, um, fiscal policy is actually tightening on a net basis. And the reason is because during the pandemic, we had um, such a huge amount of fiscal spending. And then also the following year uh, in 2021, that continued uh, partly because of the kind of vaccine rollouts, but also, again, uh, in order to support the economy. But the the broader picture is that uh, fiscal policy is being contractionary. So it is actually a bit of a headwind um, to the economy. But, you know, in terms of this kind of regime shift, whether or not um, going forward, we we see the state, uh, i.e. governments, taking a more active role. That's uh, certainly possible because, as I say, you know, the, the sort of game has changed during the pandemic. There is now seems to be an onus on the governments to uh, to step up whenever there's a, a crisis, which inevitably there will be in any given year. So what does that do for your longer term projections then when you're looking at the, say, Fed balance sheet, which is... Uh, increased from was it, I think one trillion dollars pre two thousand and seven to now in excess of nine. What's the uh, what's the long term uh, impact here, and, w- and what can be done about it? Well, it's a challenging uh, situation for central banks, many of which aren't necessarily happy with the the size of their balance sheets, which are are looking bloated by any given measure. But of course, you know. If governments are spending left, right, and centre, it's not going to help in terms of the repayment burden on governments when they're trying to pay down the debt. If uh, central banks are starting to unwind balance sheets, sell off uh, their government bonds, that's obviously going to increase the burden on governments, and it could become actually a, a bit of a flashpoint between central banks and governments longer term. And um, you know, we have seen actually um, attacks, I suppose ramped up against various central bank governors uh, by politicians from various sides. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a longer term issue, but there's a question mark, I guess, hanging over. Uh, what, a, what is the kind of role of central banks going to, going to look like in the future? Because um, now that, you know, previously central banks were, uh, their independence was sacrosanct, whereas nowadays uh, they're coming under a lot more criticism uh, and like I say, from from politicians and uh, you know, whether their mandates are changed or whether or not there's uh, there's more interference, shall we say, from government, uh, that could be a real problem, um, particularly from, let's say, uh, a monetary policy perspective, if they're trying to achieve price stability. Uh, if the independence of central banks is comes under question or um, is broken down, then, of course, by virtue, then inflation targets come under threat as a consequence. Great, thank, thank you. Um, you've mentioned your talk, uh, you've mentioned economic and political announcements on the large scale 
um, happening. And I know there's there's one coming up tomorrow. I was wondering if, firstly, you could explain Jackson Hole um, and um, and what it's uh, what it's expected to do. But also um, for, for the benefit of our of our listeners, why why have they picked this as a location? Yeah, Jackson Hole seems um, quite an unusual location to, to host uh, such a, uh, an international gathering of such importance. But there is quite an is- interesting history behind that. And uh, the reason is because in the early 1980s, uh, you had the Kansas City Fed. Uh, they wanted to to make the kind of economic symposium that they held every year a bit more high profile. So what they did was they figured out if they could convince uh, Paul Volcker, who was then the, the current Fed chair, to attend, and that might help to increase its kind of exposure. And what they figured was that, well, he was a fan of fly fishing, so they had to find somewhere suitable uh, to do some fly fishing. And um, for the time of year, at Colorado, um, which is what they first considered, uh, the water's too warm for trout, so they looked further afield. And um, the ideal spot was Jackson Hole. And so that's the reason why Jackson Hole um, is in Jackson Hole, because um, they wanted to attract Paul Volcker all those years ago. And they did so uh, because of his love of fly fishing. But yeah, it's, it's a key focus for markets this week. I mean, any year, you know, because um, two years ago we had um, the current Fed chair, Jerome Powell. He came up with the Fed's new mandate, uh, which... You know, they they said that they would pursue average inflation targeting, but also uh, a broader and more inclusive measure of full employment. So it is usually a set piece event uh, for the Fed. And so markets are are waiting on tenterhooks uh, for depending on what uh, Powell is going to say. And um, at this stage, the the expectation is that he wants to stress that the the Fed will be data dependent, but at the same time as well, uh, communicate to markets that uh, interest rates will have to remain elevated for a sustained period of time to bring inflation back to target. And um, that's certainly our view in the sense that we don't think that this is necessarily, uh, the inflation situation isn't so transitory that it'll wash out very quickly, but it's going to be... um, quite a long fight for the Fed. Okay, great. Thank you. You've mentioned an awful lot of stress in markets, of course, um, and we focused on the non-consensus standpoint from the team. How are you getting ahead of the market? Uh, where, where are the positive, where are the opportunities from uh, from here? Um, I, I believe that might be a good place to, for us to, uh, to, to end today's podcast. So, as you say, whenever there's a sort of non-consensual call that we have at the moment, there are plenty of opportunities to get ahead of the, the market. So I think in, in one sense, um, you know, once a recession comes into view for investors, uh, they're going to be shifting into defensive. So at this stage, it might be worth considering moving into the likes of consumer staples, uh, as well as perhaps kind of utilities and healthcare. I guess alongside that, it might be a good option to build in some commodity exposure uh, given that we think that the the biggest risk uh, to our outlook is actually a scenario in which Russia cuts off uh, the taps to, to Europe, as it were. So in that environment, obviously, commodities would outperform. And uh, but more generally, we, we think that uh, moving into firms that are developing alternative energy sources to fossil fuels will be perhaps a good 
call because it's clearly going to be a priority for many governments going ahead. And actually, we just had Japan recently. Uh, Prime Minister Kishida has, uh, has announced that Japan will be moving to switch back on its nuclear power plants, obviously, uh, after suffering the uh, Fukushima disaster in 2011. That's quite a, a big shift there. But I think that is just reflective of the reality at the moment in the sense that more governments want to build in energy security. So I think moving into the sectors which are the sort of future energy, uh, I think many investors are going to be cognizant of that and uh, they will be uh, outperforming uh, perhaps in the years to come. So lots of opportunities there, you know, for investors that are willing to be brave, I think. George, thank, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Thanks, Phil. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and also to our listeners, thank you for joining us and we look forward to engaging with you further in 2022. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. The forecasts included are not guaranteed. They are provided only as at the date of issue and should not be relied upon. Our forecasts are based on our own assumptions which may change. We accept no responsibility for any errors of fact or opinion and assume no obligation to provide you with any changes to our assumptions or forecasts. Forecasts and assumptions may be affected by external, economic or other factors.